Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. Got another episode for you today. We have Daphne McGee. I am excited to share this conversation with you. Man, I, I went through a phase of recording podcasts. Um, gosh, I don't even know what it was. Probably a couple of months ago when I recorded like probably three months worth of podcasts. And so it's been a while since I talked to Daphne. I was just texting her today, telling her that the episode was going to come out soon. Um, and just editing this, I was like, man, this was such a good conversation. So I'm really excited to share this with you. I hope you really enjoy it. Um, Daphne helps people that um, are in unhealthy, maybe quite toxic relationships and um, need to move on or um, even helping people realize they need to move on. Uh, yeah, such an important work and has such strong uh, relevance in our uh, world of deconstruction, um, you know, a lot of um, religious relationships uh, can be quite toxic and they can turn even more toxic when people deconstruct. And so um, whether this fits for you um, or, or maybe someone you know, I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. We, we branch out into 101 other different conversations as we go, as always with me. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed talking with Daphne and I hope you uh, enjoy listening. Before we get started, I want to remind you all the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help people find others that are deconstructing in your local area. Um, you know, this is a lonely, hard journey to do um, and there's no reason to do it alone necessarily. Um, maybe if you live on a remote island in the middle of the Pacific or something, possibly. But um, generally speaking, wherever you are, other people are deconstructing. And the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others that are going through that. Um, of course, we can connect with other Christians. We can connect with people that have never been a Christian. But there's something about connecting with someone that has been through this journey that uh, is so helpful as we as we go through it. They, they get uh, what we're going through in a way that most other people can't. Um, and so do check that resource out. Uh, if you want to support what I'm doing, everything I do is for free. It's a full-time gig. I, I, I devote my full time to this. Um, uh, you can support me over on Patreon, patreon.com slash So That makes a huge difference. Just five bucks a month helps me pay the bills, helps take the weight off my shoulders as I focus on helping people. Um, you know, so many people uh, in our situation have gone through decades of financial abuse and, and I really feel strongly that they should have access to support and resources that help them deconstruct without any um, financial obligation. You know, many of them could easily pay for resources and, and, and there's great resources out there that people can pay for. Um, but, you know, if nothing else, just to stop bringing up that huge trigger point um, after hearing for decades, oh, buy my book, come to this conference, pay for this course, whatever it is, right? Give me 10% of your income, all that stuff. Um, for, the, for me, that is enough to commit to doing this for free. And um, the amazing people that support me are what makes that possible. And so if you are able, that would be amazing. If you're not able, that's why I'm here. I'm here for people that aren't able. Um, and so please don't ever feel any uh, requirement or guilt or obligation or any of that shit that we drag forward from the from the past. Like Leave that in the past. Um, yep, yeah, so patreon.com slash phildrysdall. So thank you. You get access to our online community. We've got a wonderful online community on Discord. We do monthly Zoom calls and all sorts of different stuff. Um, and so it'd be great to have you in there. All right, let's dive into the conversation with Daphne. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to meet you. I guess we haven't even, this is our first conversation. So <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I've been really looking forward to this for a while. And I think, I think, did you reschedule as well at one point? Mm -hmm. I feel like we had yeah. an appointment even earlier. You rescheduled yeah. and then I had to reschedule. I was laughing so much on um, 
probably about an hour after I um I messaged you on Sunday to to reschedule. I was talking to my friend. I'm like, I have no idea why I feel so bad today. I just felt literally like the world had ended, or just like felt like a puddle dripping into the ground. You know, I mean? just like it was like wow. everything was shutting down. And then um, I went to take my antidepressants. I've been on for like a few months now. And uh, I'm like, oh, there's yesterday's antidepressants. I'm like, oh, that'll cool. do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it. they're working. Um, nice. <laughs> that or yeah. they introduce a whole new low when you miss them. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I rescheduled last week because that was the day after the Oscars happened. And I was really triggered, actually. Right. It was kind of surprising. I was initially shocked and then social media was so loud talking about it there was just so much I was like there's no way I can have this conversation right now right yeah I I thought about this last week a lot and I do wonder if it's because I am in so many more black spaces online like uh, just trying to expose myself way more intentionally um but it did feel like it was like whoa this is blowing up and I was just like take a step back I'm like people messaging me and I'm like really you think this guy over in the UK this white guy in the UK who knows absolutely nothing anyway and doesn't follow pop culture barely knows movie stars pop singers why am I getting asked um so I just exited quietly made a meme for the day about something completely unrelated but even at that I I have like different websites I follow for like trending memes and I couldn't find a meme for like three days. Every meme was related to the Oscar. And it was just like, whoa, like this is crazy. So yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in that space as a black woman, all that shit yeah. going down. I mean, I, I would just watch John going, I don't really know anything about any of these things. And I'm like, geez, this is a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, there were so many, so many layers that I think we're gonna be processing for a long time but I think you were right like one of the one of the first ones that popped out for me was because I saw a deconstruction page post a meme and I know that the person that runs it is a white person and I was like right you sure you want to do that (laughs) you know so that was kind of the first thing for me because there was already these rumblings in the deconstruction space of really seeing how racist it is Mm -hmm. and then so that just kind of perpetuated so I was just like I'm gonna say a couple of things and then I'm gonna just chill out for a few days not be on social media because I'm like I need to have these conversations in safe spaces where they're not just hot takes right like where we can actually process what's coming up yeah yeah no i mean i i noticed i mean deconstruction space it feels certainly this is a conversation i have a constant on the show is a very white space um and yeah it feels like there's a lot of people in this space that still have a lot of decolonizing to do um again talk about that fair left i've 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 not released actually i just released an episode with um Benji from Hey, hey There, Benji. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also have one recorded with um, Gianna Slagada where we literally just oh. talked about decolonization. So I'm excited to drop oh, nice. that next week or something. So, but, uh, so I feel like I'm having this conversation constantly, but it's not a conversation we're having enough. And right. it's actually not going to be right a constant. people I'm having aren't having the conversation. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't exactly. Think yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the people that need to be having it that aren't. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I look at myself and two, man, maybe even being generous to myself saying two years, maybe a year ago, 
I would have seen a funny meme about someone slapping someone and not even looked at race, not looked at anything gone. Oh, that makes a funny meme of someone slapping another person. I can put like God and this or that and pastor or something there. Um, and so I get it that some people just haven't begun that work. Um, but yeah, once you start as a white person, I'm like, whoa, I'm noticing this a lot. I cannot imagine what it is to live this your whole life and just watch people with like who just aren't aware or or watch people that are starting it and going, gosh, you have so much still to do. This is so frustrating. I've just started unfollowing a lot. Like, so that's that's right. been helpful for me. I'm like, oh, okay, you're not a safe person to unfollow. Cool. Mm, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I, I'm excited to see more and more. Um, black people people of color in general like um a lot of people that have generally been marginalized by the church like seem to be showing up more and more on my feet and again i don't know if i've i've tiptoed into a world that suddenly instagram's like oh here have some more people probably uh, yeah. i don't feel like people are just appearing out of nowhere um but it feels like that to me it feels like suddenly i'm like whoa actually the deconstruction space is way more colorful than i thought um and that's that's exciting to me. Uh, I, I don't know, but but again, still a vast minority in a world of white. I mean, mm -hmm. off off the charts. It's, it's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I I just yeah. Talking to Benji, talking to Janice, talk to yourself, talk to other people over the several months, years now, and yeah, I don't know. I just have no idea what it's like to not look to a stage in church and see someone that looks like me, not be mm. in a deconstruction space and look at my peers and go, oh yeah, they all look like me. They're all white, you know, mid thirties or whatever. Like they're all the same person um, yeah. in one way or another. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very foreign thing for me to, to even try and empathize and understand what that must be like for you. Uh, and, and, everyone out there i mean it's a world of people that are deconstructing that are going from one very white space into another yeah and for me it's less about like looking and seeing people that look like me versus when i'm in community with folks having people who can truly kind of understand like the nuances or the, the layers of intersectionality and so i was actually thinking about that as i was thinking about our conversation and why i'm doing what i'm doing um, because I did come across some different support groups and things like that. And I just thought again, how like, man, I thought I was safe and realized that actually wasn't because of either the microaggressions or just really overt racism that people didn't want to address. Mm, yeah. 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 I can imagine that sort of thing can, I, I, I know for me, and again, so I, I, I can only kind of try some weird translation where I try and make a, a smaller, similar world scenario. Um, but I know for me, you, you come out of a church that's um, progressively, you're becoming more and more aware how unhealthy it can be, how maybe even abusive it can be. And I know you talk a lot about that sort of stuff. Um, and there's almost this assumption I'm coming into a safe space. And I imagine it's similar. In, and again, obviously your wheelhouse of expertise coming out of abusive relationships. Uh, I imagine there's this, this uh, component of like, oh, now I'll be safe. Um, but there's a real tendency and not a tendency because it's, it's not on the victim at all. Um, there's a... Um, there's just a world of abuse out there and there's a world of brokenness and there's a world of systemic 
problems. Um, problems feels like a really weak word, um, but it's just so systemic that you, you, it is so easy to go out of one situation and straight into another, to come out of an unhealthy church and go into um, a place that's healthy in one area, but still has nine other areas that the church has just carried on into this new space. Um, yeah, especially if yeah. you don't realize how the systems are at play. And so that was kind of how that really is kind of how my journey went. Like I was like, oh, okay, I'm out of this unsafe situation. And then thinking I'm in another and like, oh no, wait, there's other things. And then I'm doing something else like, oh no, wait. And then so that's kind of what broadened my view to really see like, oh, these things are impacted by these systems of like, I love how Bell Hooks put it, this um, capitalist imperial, no, imperialist capitalist white supremacist patriarchy <laughs> and like I feel like that really encompasses like how these systems work to oppress in these different spaces and I mean I never I never read bell hooks before last year I mean there's no pastor that's going to quote <laughs> bell hooks in an evangelical space right but it really right. is frameworks like those that helped me understand the things like why I was experiencing the things that I was and also how I can seek liberation for myself and my community. Yeah. Well, maybe we should, cause we're diving in. We are like, we're getting deep straight away. It's, it's the only way I know. Um, but maybe um, we can revisit this via a, a, a brief glimpse into your own journey, because I think it'd be really helpful for people to kind of have an idea of where you've come from, your backgrounds, like how you got into the work you're doing. And then we can dive into all these, all this juicy stuff. For I'm sure, sure there's plenty sure. of juicy stuff in your story yeah. as well. I'm sure <laughs> that's where it gets for real sure. juicy, right? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So I grew up in Texas, uh, the Bible Belt and uh, was homeschooled. Um, my earliest memory of church um, was a predominantly white evangelical church. And I say predominantly white because evangelical is not necessarily synonymous with white. I've been to some evangelical black churches as well. Right. Um, but in that first church that I remember, I vividly kind of remember this incident where there was a white girl and one of my friends who I think was Indian and they were walking and they saw me and they like turned around and I don't remember exactly what was said, but I just remember experiencing or feeling like it was, it's because I'm black. I remember telling my parents that, and I don't re kind of remember what really happened after that, but I know we weren't at that church long. So I mean, it's something I may want to talk to my parents about actually. I wonder what their experiences were at the church, mm. but we went to um, moved to a predominantly black church. Um, and so I was probably six or seven. And when I was seven, I remember very vividly uh, one Sunday, the pastor holding up this book that he said all families needed to read. And it was I Kissed Dating Goodbye wow. <laughs> by Joshua Harris. And so that is kind of what framed um, my upbringing and view in terms of relationships. Yeah. I'm also a rule follower, Enneagram one, if people are familiar with that. So things, you know, they're, they're like that really binary or black and you, white. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It gave me the rules. And so I was a really good rule follower. So the rules I learned in terms of relationships, uh, there were, I guess there were three, maybe two rules, three rules. And one kind of foundational assumption that marriage is better than singleness or being single because it mirrors Christ's relationship with the church. And it's really the only way you can kind of experience your full humanity because 
you're not supposed to really be a sexual person outside of Mm. that marriage between one man and one woman. So that's kind of the foundational assumption. So the first, so that's kind of like rule zero. Rule one is, which kind of was supported by this book or really made up with this book was, you know, you don't really need to date. Like dating isn't God honoring, right? Like you need to be courting or looking for a spouse. And if the person you're talking to is not going to be your spouse, then you shouldn't have a relationship with them. You know, if they're the opposite sex, right? Because again, it's very um, heteronormative. Um, And then so the rule, like explicitly no sex outside of marriage, um, you know, between one man and one woman who are married to each other, like that's, (laughs) that's the rule. And then once you're married, you can't get divorced because mm. God hates divorce. Right. So, so those are the relationship rules I got growing up and what like what I understood to be the goal. Um, there was no talk about compatibility or what do I want or what do I need, that type mm. of thing, because we're only supposed to be wanting what God wants for us. Um, you know, and if we, the heart is deceitful, right? So if we feel like we like something, then that can't, that has to be the flesh that has to be evil, that type of thing. So I got really steeped in this theology of, um, just really being a disembodied person, kind of trying to figure out what does God want for me throughout my teenage years. And I mean, I followed all the rules. I was really good at following rules (laughs) Um, and I was very loud about it. And I was very judgmental of those who did not follow the rules. <laughs> You're like, a great Christian. It's not, uh, it's not even hard. Like, clearly, y'all are just wrong. I don't know. Y'all just don't love God. You must not. Um, and so I carry that with me. It's so interesting. And I've been thinking about this recently because there were all these rules about relationships, but not necessarily about career endeavors or that type of thing. So I've been thinking about, cause I'm an attorney by trade. So I've been thinking about like, how is it that I was kind of navigating all of these spaces and like going to these higher and higher levels. And I'm, then I think like, oh, capitalism, of course, like, of mm. course it's like fine. You know, of course God honors that endeavor, that pursuit, right? Um, right. That's kind of an aside, but I've just been thinking about that recently. Um, so anyway, I go through college um, and even in, so in my adolescent teen college years, I didn't really date. Um, one, cause my dad didn't really allow it. Like it just mm. wasn't a thing. Um, and so in, in my pursuit of honoring God, to me, that looked like honoring my parents and their rules. And so it just, there was a kind of a shame attached to it. I remember an incident that happened. I think I was 10. I was in public school for a year because my mom uh, wanted, she was a teacher by trade and wanted to go back for a year. So instead of homeschooling us, we went to a public school where we lived in the Dallas area. Mm. And I remember this incident where uh, one of my classmates, a boy called my house and asked to talk to me, but apparently he disguised his voice and like said he was a girl. Um, I didn't know that, or I guess, maybe I knew that. And I, you know, when I got off the phone, my dad was like, who was that? And I told him, he's like, you had a boy calling this house. You don't ever need to have that. And it was just, it was so over the top. And so that, I mean, that was probably 22 years ago, but I remember it so vividly. And And you're you're 10 at this time, right? Yeah. Because there's this weird dynamic as well, right? I mean, you're talking about like purity culture, I can stick goodbye, all these things, but like at the age of 10, like the whole like 
fathers being scared of their daughters thing like you know like uh, like i like it's weird it harkens to possession it's all sorts of unhealthy stuff but even if you tolerate that unhealthy stuff you're like oh yeah like if your daughter's like 17 and going out for the night or something i'm like i can understand hey maybe let her know about that not all guys are healthy but like 10 year olds like a 10 year old girl a 10 year old guy whatever at school like it's this weird hypersexualization of children almost right and and i don't mm-hmm. think that's intentionally what our parents are doing or like, right. i don't think there's intentionality a lot of the time there but it's a weird weird thing in christianity this like this hypersexualization so young yeah, yeah yeah for sure and it kind of goes with the binary thinking that kind of undergirds evangelicalism is like there is no like either you're married to someone of the opposite sex or you're not like there's no and like Mm. how do you have a healthy relationship with someone right like there's no conversations about how to do that just like just very binary and so there weren't really conversations in my household growing up about how do we have healthy relationships what does dating look like you know Mm. I think it was just whatever the church was teaching us in youth group and that type of thing that's what we we're supposed to do. And so those are the rules that I took on. And by the time I graduated from high school, I had come to kind of really hold my faith as my own something separate uh, from my parents. And Mm. was, again, really proud of that, really loud about that. (laughs) Um, To the point where I didn't really, I mean, I wasn't really listening (laughs) to anybody anymore. Right. Um, And so my parents got divorced, actually, at my second year of college. Mm-hmm. And so with the reasoning that I had, I was like, well, it's because they did things wrong, right? They didn't follow the rules. Yeah. I'm going to follow the rules, though, so I'll be fine. <laughs> and so took that reasoning with me. Again, hadn't really dated because I still felt like I didn't have permission. I still feel like I don't have permission these days. <laughs> like the other yeah. day, I was like, can I do this? Anyway, I, I didn't feel deep, eh? <laughs> like it just sinks in there. <laughs> It's crazy. And so, you know, didn't really feel like I had permission to date, but kind of felt like I could pursue my educational career pursuits kind of however I wanted. Um, And so I did that. I went to graduate from Baylor um, in Texas, um, which is, I think, the largest Baptist university in the world. They taught that very proudly. (laughs) Um, Then went to Emory in Atlanta, went to law school and also got a master's in public health. Um, because I'm really interested in health disparities and health inequity and that type of thing. And so it was in my, in grad school when I met my future ex-husband, <laughs> um, who was in the public health program at the time. And he said he was interested in pursuing a friendship rooted in Christ. Basically, he knew all the right words, all the right, right language. And so because I wanted to honor God again. And I'm having, I have this kind of foundational um, knowledge or assumption that being married is the best way to honor God. Then, you know, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, Mm -hmm. All throughout that relationship, I wasn't necessarily happy, um, but I felt like I was honoring God. And that's kind of one of the other theological premises that helps to uphold, um, abusive relationships or even just unhealthy relationships is that suffering is required to honor God Mm. and we shouldn't be pursuing our own happiness in relationships. There's the book, um, sacred marriage and the subtitle is marriage. What if 
God designed marriage for holiness and not happiness. And wow. so, <laughs> you know, all of that is kind of playing into my relationship with this person. And so he was familiar with the idea of courtship that came from, you know, the Joshua Harris book and all of that. And so we entered a courtship, which was short. Again, I wasn't happy, <laughs> but I'm like, it's, I guess it's the right thing to do. He's saying all the right things. He reads scripture, mm -hmm. like theology, evangelism, all the things. Um, and so we had a short courtship. We got engaged and got married in 2016. And that was the year Donald Trump got elected. Uh, and so a little bit after his election, I was, had been married for about six months. A little bit after that, a, a friend posted an article on Facebook about narcissism. Mm -hmm. And I read it because I was like, oh, this is interesting. I hadn't really heard about this before. I read it and I saw the dynamic that was happening in my marriage described in that article. Wow. That must be scary. On the one hand, it was scary, yes, but also it, it gave me an explanation. It kind of gave me a container mm. to put things in because I had been confused by some things, unhappy about some things, and people had just been saying, well, marriage is hard, but it's worth it. And so I'm like, okay, I guess this is the hard part. But finding this explanation gave me a container to put things in. Um, interestingly enough though, and of course I had to find, I couldn't just read secular articles about it. Right. I had to find right, a Christian article. Worldly stuff. They're, they're just out there to break up marriages, right? That's their goal. Exactly. Because all of the articles I was reading were saying that you'll never be able to have a healthy, happy relationship with someone with mm. that disorder or those, um, that exhibits those characteristics. And so I immediately, I kind of had a visceral like rejection of that, um, that line of thinking, because I thought God could do anything. And, you know, there's, there's no person that God can't change. And so, you know, I'm looking up, because um, I had discovered in the course of me kind of doing that research that the dynamic that was happening could be called emotional abuse, um, or spiritual mm -hmm. abuse. So I was Googling like, okay, emotional abuse in Christian marriage, emotional abuse, you know, like Bible, what does the Bible say about <laughs> this type right. of thing? And just got all really like convoluted things that ultimately just said, pray and trust God and you're being sanctified in your marriage because marriage is hard. And, you know, we're sinful individuals. And of course, things aren't going to go right when you're trying to partner with somebody who's sinful. So you need to pray for your spouse, that type of thing. Uh, and I also reached out to, we were in a small group at a church uh, at the time, and there was a couple who were uh, biblical counselors. So I reached out to the wife of that couple and told her that I thought the marriage was abusive. And she dismissed it pretty quickly and said, well, abuse is wow. just sin. You know, and how do you treat someone that sins against you? So she took me to some passage of scripture and was like, you know, this is how you treat someone that's sinning against you, you know, even if it's your spouse. And so I tried to do those things. Also, at this time, I was taking the bar exam um, to become licensed as an attorney. Mm -hmm. 
And I was, at the time I made that discovery, I was preparing for taking it the second time because I failed the first time, which was during my engagement where I wasn't oh, happy. Wow. <laughs> so along with saying, okay, like, I'm going to pray. They say marriage is hard. I did all the right things. I followed all the rules. We did all the things, premarital counseling, all the marriage enrichment, all, you know, we did right. all the if things. If anyone so, deserves the God ordains perfect marriage, right? You've been ticking that box for years here. Right. I did all the things. So I'm like, when is the magic going to happen that like magically smooths over the situation and makes it a fulfilling marriage? Because that was kind of always the promise, even though mm. we were told, okay, you shouldn't be pursuing your own desires. You, you should be pursuing what God wants. It was still ultimately in pursuit of having a happy marriage and happy and fulfilling life, right? Because somehow mm -hmm. magically what we want is supposed to align with what God wants and then everything is supposed to fall in line and then we'll be all good. Yeah. And and there is uh, like, I should talk about this with someone the other day. I can't remember who, but um, there's this weird underlying current in christianity that is marriage is success to some degree i mean they, they've done studies on this um like they've shown again and again and again that christians believe that single people are second-class citizens to married people like this is shored up in a lot of data king's college did a really good study and they found that 97 percent of women in the church believe that being single is worse than being married 97%. But men, what wow. was interesting is I think it was 73% of men thought that being single is worse than being married. So it's still there massively, but it's, it's a significant difference. Um, but yeah, it, it's that thing of like, well, you know, like you shouldn't be pursuing marriage. You shouldn't be focusing on it, but we're all going to be communicating really clearly that you're kind of a second-class citizen unless you are married. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's this weird yeah. dynamic as well that kind of keeps you, um, hemmed into marriage on another level right another level says well like god i don't want to be going back to that because i i've right. been waiting my whole life to be in the in the married club um right yeah it's it's a weird weird kind of dynamic the whole you shouldn't be focused on getting married but also we kind of glorify it and we look down on anyone that isn't um in right. the same way that we yeah. then do with kids or that we you know like this so many tears here that people uh, mm -hmm. just are never quite where they should be, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and especially women, <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, because it's it's so patriarchal, and that's like you say weird. I'm like, okay, patriarchal. Mm -hmm. To me, patriarchy yes. like that explains why that is because for so long, women really couldn't access everything in society without being married. Women had to be right. married to really have any chance of survival. I mean, even up until. I think it was the 70s here in the U.S. when the Fair Credit Act was issued that stopped banks from discriminating against women in terms of issuing credit and mortgages and things like that. So, and that so that's fairly recent. Yeah. Oh, big time. Women have been property for a very long time, and taking away that language does not take away the systems that see it. Right. Big right. Time. Exactly. And really around that time is when you kind of see the rise of this brand of evangelicalism. So it's almost as if that was kind of put in place to keep those same systems in place, even when the laws couldn't uphold those ideologies. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that kind of overlap, but that's so, yeah, that's on the money, I think. We kind of see that too with how the evangelical church talks about abortion. It kind of changed around that same time, right? It hasn't always been the same. People say, oh, you know, life begins at conception. The church hasn't always thought that way. 
Right. Um, so it's it's interesting when you when you look at the systems and you kind of follow like the power dynamics, you can really yeah. see like when the church or evangelicalism kind of stepped in to play those those roles of yeah. oppression. And of course, that's a huge overlap. I mean, all that moral majority of abortion and, and women's rights and stuff, huge overlap with the, the primary topic on the table at the time was integration, right? It was it was mm -hmm. all race, right? Even deeper than women being property, even deeper than the rights of a baby or a traditional family. It was, we cannot tolerate that this is becoming uh, an integrated society. We just don't mm -hmm. want that to occur. Um, mm -hmm. And in some ways, the whole, well, can we go back to treating women as second-class citizens was more palatable at the time, which is, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> how, how you pick and choose what's more palatable or not. But it, right. apparently on some level, these were topics that we could still get away with. And so we're going to subjugate Black people by subjugating women. We're going to subjugate Black people by strong-arming uh, people's reproductive rights and things like that, right? By making yeah. these legal changes, by criminalizing things that, you know, really focus on Black people predominantly. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you see it right now, you know, even with the laws targeting, right now. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm, Sorry, yeah, I was just thinking yeah, with the abortion I, laws and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It and targets like drug women laws, and black marijuana. People, yeah. 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 Things that are the way things are criminalized and the way those criminal penalties are enforced is, I mean, absolutely just disproportionate. If you look at it through the lens of like really that imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy that Bell Hooks talks about, it really explains all of it. When you think about white supremacy too, um, that's kind of to me like the umbrella for oppression, right? If you don't fit this kind of like there's this right, one right model, which is you know, um, male, heterosexual, able-bodied, uh, tall, uh, you know, cisgender, what are all, you know, all the, if you don't fit that ideal, then that's where like the oppression starts to come in and you have to deny parts of yourself to, you know, kind of thrive, or you feel like you have to deny parts of yourself to really thrive and avoid oppression. Mm. And so that's why these systems, they harm everybody, <laughs> right? Yep. And I think it's important, this is, again, another aside, but it's really important, you know, when people are thinking about, like, who's invested in dismantling these systems, we're all harmed by them, you know, unless you're in that, like, ideal position, which, nobody really I mean there may be a few people that are but like ultimately you know people are going to get older and then they're not anymore mm. so everybody's harmed by these systems yeah yeah I was just watching um I don't know if you used to watch the Hillsong documentary the, the new mega church I haven't one. yet I I just found out how to get a hold of it in the UK uh, it's not very legal methods but it's, it's fine um <laughs> I I I will make exceptions, uh, but me and my wife just watched the first episode, and it's really interesting. They touched on something that was really fascinating I hadn't thought about before, um, and it was talking about how Carl Lentz, you know, just meteoric success, but he almost becomes more successful than all the old guard, right? Well, he does become more successful. Everyone hears Hillsong, they think Carl, they don't think Brian anymore, right? They don't think about Frank and Brian and these old guys. Um, and it was talking about that dynamic of like Brian suddenly becoming the little guy because he's the older, uncool. No one really gives a crap about this old, like weird guy from Australia, right? I mean, like who cares? Carl's walking around with his like photoshopped body. What the heck is that? Um, you know, like that's what we want on our Instagram feeds. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just laughing because I was laughing with my wife and I was like, this is pretty much the only time in Brian's life he's going to feel 
like uh, uh, somehow marginalized, right? He's like, oh no, I, I'm still like this ultra wealthy, like multimillionaire, like, you know, straight white guy. I mean, he's got all the boxes ticked, but somehow he's like now overshadowed by this cool younger person. Um, and and it, it, it did make me think it's like, you know, even the most privileged will lose so much. They will lose their able bodies over time. They will lose their age, privilege and, and different components, right? um it's still they've got a fair few stacked right i mean a lot of people <laughs> like are stacked it's the way it is right um for now at least um but yeah i hadn't thought of that um before really about yeah even the most privileged that those certain privileges are time sensitive um, mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure i it's funny because i'm like okay even as I was, I was preparing for this conversation i'm like okay, i'm not really going to get into a lot about race but i mean it's, it's a part of my story and really it they just the intersectionality you can't really untangle all of these things for sure and it definitely plays a role even in how i was supported at my church uh when i had made the discovery about my marriage being mm abusive um because we were at a predominantly white church in uh in north carolina actually the church where the pastor would become uh the president of the southern baptist convention oh wow so very it's like how evangelical was the church like very right, <laughs> right? and the southern and baptist convention has a great track record of installing fantastic people as president so i mean my my goodness put but some lines together <laughs> and it's so interesting how i thought oh this is going to be a great change for the southern baptist convention like they're getting somebody who's super smart and gets it that's what i thought at the time but it's still southern baptist convention <laughs> okay mm. um but i even think about that in terms of like i said the support that i i got i remember a couple of times talking to some folks in my small group about what was going on and them saying oh well you're strong you know you can take that you can endure that while god works on him that type of thing um and i'm just even thinking about those types of microaggressions and whether or not people would say that to their friends who are white <laughs> mm. you know i think on a certain level they were invested in maintaining uh the I guess the the reasoning that that undergirded their the, their theology. So I don't think they would necessarily tell like white people to kind of leave those situations, but like the way that they would approach care and support would be a lot different. Yeah, I mean, there's that concepts of you know white tears, white fragility, not not even in that context of white fragility, but that the, you look upon the poor white lady who's crying. She's so fragile. We need to take care mm -hmm. of her, <laughs> um, and then you look at what. A, a huge majority of America are willing to subject to a black woman, um, mm -hmm. and and it's a, it's a very different story. Any any, yeah, anyone able to remove some biases from the table can quickly see that these are different experiences. Um, yeah, yeah, not not everyone is able to to remove those biases from the table, of course, but uh, at least yeah. not easily or uh, without a lot of work. But yeah, so so. Um, let, let's let's dive into this a bit more because I'm so intrigued that, I mean, this is a common, common thing that I speak to people day in, day out that are going through deconstruction. And I speak to a lot of women um, and to a lesser degree men as well, because quite a few men are in very abusive marriages as well themselves and and, and suffer from that. Um, and but, but predominantly women I speak to that are in these really abusive places. And most of them, by the time they're talking to me, are out. A fair few of them aren't. 
Um, in fact, a few people I've kind of said, hey, go check out your stuff. Because um, you're, you're a prime person for these people to, to, to check. Um, but most of them have the same story. Most of them have the story of I sat down with trusted people in my church, close friends, close confidence. And they told me, well, you know, marriage is hard. And, you know, well, your husband's the head of the house and you have to be, you know, beneath him. And, and well, the thing is, even if they are abusive, you know, well, it's a sin issue. We need to pray that that sin's transformed. Mm -hmm. You know, all, all this stuff that you're saying, um, it sounds horrific. And I imagine a lot of people listening to this that haven't maybe intimately been through this or know people that have gone through it, at least know off the experience they went through, um, might listen to you going, oh, wow, that's that's shocking, but that's probably an outlying story. Um, but for me, I mean, I talk to people, gosh, at least a few times a week that are going mm -hmm. through this. Um, it, it seems like a very recurring um pattern that seems to be predicated on kind of systemic things kind of what you're talking about these patriarchy these these kind of um power dynamics that don't listen to women that require women to just put up with it um mm -hmm. yeah I, I it it's it's really fascinating so where did you go from this place so you're in church you know you're, you're you've, you've kind of reached out to people and they've kind of told you to pray about it which i mean yeah, if you're Christian, I mean, I guess that's on the list, but I feel like there should be other things here. Um, you got anything else? I mean, you must be feeling like, have you got anything else? I, I've already tried praying a bit and I'll keep doing that. But like, what else have we got here? Um, yeah. I guess when you come to the end of that list and, and it is pray about it, hope he changes, that must feel pretty, I, I just don't even know the words, despair? Like, uh... Well, so... Before I even got to the end of the list, I went into denial. <laughs> um, kind of intentionally because I, and like I said, I was trying to pass the bar exam um, mm. to become licensed. I was taking the Texas bar exam. Even though we lived in North Carolina, the plan, at least my plan, always was to come back to Texas. That's kind of what we had discussed. And so I'm working on that. So I'm like, you know what? That's going to be my focus. I can't even deal <laughs> with whatever this is right now. So kind of in denial, you know, I was like, okay, pray, slap that bandaid on it, you know, counsel, whatever, be kind to those who aren't kind to you, whatever, slap those things on it. Let me go study for the bar exam. Not unsurprisingly, I didn't pass the bar exam <laughs> again. Um, so I had taken it Let's see, I guess three, I failed it three times. And so the way it's offered, it's only offered every six months or at least it was at the time. So this is kind of a year and a half of me taking this exam. Um, in the meantime, I had gotten a job offer in Texas that was contingent on me passing the bar. And so we had made plans to move to Texas because um, uh, he also didn't have a job at the time and was mm. applying. He's actually applying for things in North Carolina, which I really man, <laughs> I, I don't know how it would have worked out if he would have gotten a job there. Uh, that would have, I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to even come to that, that crossroads, <laughs> which is why, like, that's one of the reasons why I'm still like, okay, there's some type of spiritual protection, something happening there, even though I, you know, uh, am not believing in the same way that I used to, like, there was still some, like, there was something going on there. Mm. Um, but so I ended up passing the bar when he he actually moved ahead of me to Texas and I had time to myself and 
it was able to just study without whatever pressure, even though I was moving halfway across the country, <laughs> you know, right. still was able to pass the exam. Apparently that's not the biggest pressure in your life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was able to pass the exam and we, so we moved, I, I started my job, he started a job. So I'm thinking, you know, again, still in denial, I'm thinking, okay, we should be able to come to a new phase in our marriage, right? We don't have these external pressures about trying to find a job. We found a church, you know, I'm like, we should, we should be able to work on, work on our marriage, work on things. Turns out he didn't really want to, (laughs) right? And so I could no longer be in denial. And what really woke me up was my behavior. Because again, I still wanted to honor God in everything that I was doing. But I had had a few different outbursts where I was throwing things around our room out of frustration because of our interactions. And I was like, okay, this can't be, like, this isn't healthy. (laughs) You know, if I'm wanting to honor God, honor my spouse and honor myself, this can't be it. This can't be the the way that I handle it. And so that's when I found and really dove into the some different resources that I had come across in my initial search about abuse in Christian marriages. I actually did find a couple of people who had support groups for um, Christian women in marriage in emotionally abusive marriages. So I dove into that support, dove into some of the materials that um, were like not advised, the the secular (laughs) materials, you know, and really started learning. And I started focusing on myself and making sure that I was honoring God, because, again, that was still Mm -hmm. my goal. And I was like, I need to still be doing this. So I was making sure I was doing that. So even learning boundaries and how I interacted to me, that was still a way of honoring God in that situation. Yeah. I didn't jump straight to, okay, I have to leave. Um, like that just wouldn't have been, you know, I would, I wasn't ready to make that leap yet. Yeah. I, I mean, I imagine most people, I mean, I, I went through a, a divorce a few years ago as well. And, and I know for me, um, and everyone's story is unique and, and there was certainly a lot less abusive dynamics and gosh, if there was any abusive dynamics, it's probably me. Like I, I can be very nice. I mean, I, I've got autism. And so I can be very stubborn, very unchanging and quite hard to work with at times. So I, I'm like, yeah, if I, if anyone that was really emotionally abusive at times, it was probably more me than her. Um, but you know, as a Christian, as, as a good God fearing Christian, you kind of most people in that space are brought up with a this is a huge sin i mean it's massive it's maybe not as yeah. big as abortion that's the biggie but like divorce is a big one it's, it's a really big one. i i know churches that don't let divorce people like kind of like hang around and if they do hang around, they're certainly not in leadership they don't get to really say anything from the front you know they, everyone kind of looks at them sideways that's, like i'll get to that part of the story right? that's definitely my story so, as well, well yeah right i mean yeah i'm sure we can both have uh, had moments there and i yeah i i've lucked out massively in a lot of ways but you know as cr- christians they don't they don't really consider this. they are going to fight this as hard as they can um yeah i i, I guess so when you're diving into secular resources, do they do they understand that to the same degree? I guess that's an interesting dynamic that, you know, I can imagine a, a, a secular resource specifically tailored for Christians would understand those kind of 
heavily abusive systemic properties um in a way that a lot of people you know you grab someone off the street maybe not in america because everyone <laughs> every person in america is christian still um but you know you grab someone off the street in the uk and you tell them about some of these dynamics and they're like you believe what like you believe divorce is wrong like that what, why like it, it, it's kind of become foreign to people um but yeah that, that is heavily built into the whole system anyway sorry just a rabbit trail but i, I just thinking of like the, su the support systems there must be so unique um yeah and that that's an interesting thought though the thing is that that's kind of why my deconstruction started really because the the secular books they acknowledge a person's autonomy in making these relationship decisions whereas you know christian resources are going to say you know what does god say what does the bible say what is, have you consulted wise counsel the elders pastors that type of thing you don't necessarily have autonomy and so i think when people are um like not necessarily versed in that type of dynamic. I think to a certain extent, there is an acknowledgement of how patriarchy influences, you know, women's ability to um, make decisions for themselves or feel like they can make decisions for themselves. But it's not one thing that's hugely addressed in these, in these types of books. So that's kind of where my deconstruction really started because it had to bridge that gap. And so one of the things that really kind of freed me up, one of the very first things was uh, a lecture, I think, from Bob Hamp, who's a counselor who has experienced his own abusive marriage. He talked about um, the scripture that says God hates divorce, and he talked about what the scripture is actually saying, which is essentially that God, like at the time, women who were married, um, I mean, they could only be a part of society really and access the things they needed to survive through marriage. And so men who were particularly cruel would abandon their wives and not give them the legal protection of divorce to actually be able to seek provision elsewhere. And so it's so interesting because a lot of Christian folks would advocate for this idea of separating but not getting legally divorced and but that's actually kind of the idea of what was happening yeah. in that scripture that says god hates divorce it was that people were being cruel and abandoning folks who couldn't seek provision yeah. elsewhere yeah. so yeah so for me that was that really was the beginning of my deconstruction because i was able to embrace the idea that God actually did not like what was happening in my marriage. And even mm. though I had that thought for a long time, I was like, this can't be it. Like, this just, this can't be it. This right. is not it. This ain't it. I don't know the scripture, but it's not it. <laughs> right? I don't know what scripture going to tell me that. Um, but it was that embracing that idea that God actually hates oppression. Mm. And like, that is what freed me up and really began kind of my deconstruction and the uh my journey out of that marriage because that's that freed me up to say oh okay this is actually divorce is a tool that i can use to pursue health and safety for myself and it doesn't have to be a last resort like what the church and everyone else was saying it does i don't have to continue to pray and fast and do all these ultimatums and other things because it had been almost three years at that point so yeah that really is what began my deconstruction and my journey out of the marriage. Those things were really, they were tied up for me. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, autonomy is just, it's, it, we all experience it to different degrees as we start to deconstruct because we're all tangled up in this web to different degrees, right? So levels of privilege and all sorts of different dynamics allow for us to have a bit more autonomy or less autonomy in this weird power dynamic that is the church. Um, but discovering new levels of autonomy, given more permission to make these choices. I mean, even as you're talking about, it, I'm so struck by the, the, even the idea of like, well, even if I'm to entertain something like divorce, I have to ask my pastor's permission or my leaders who I guess are all men. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. still this weird, like you're asking for permission to take autonomy over your own life for what you know would be a better, healthier choice, probably on many levels, even though you're not allowing yourself to give permission at this time, not yet. It's, it's you know, it's not, God doesn't like it, but you, you on some level are going, this is not right. It's not, it's not okay. Right. I know we're all nodding, but deep down we're going, this isn't right. Right. Like, I know that you're telling me to just power through abuse, but you don't feel that's okay. Right. Like there's something in you that's not comfortable with this fact that you're telling a woman to just go back into an abuse. Like there's this cry within us that please tell me we're not saying this. I, I remember I used to be very reformed uh, and in that whole world. And I remember like um, after 9-11, um, reading John Piper's tweet about like how, you know, was it a tweet? It was something, I don't know what he wrote, but he posted it. It's like, God, Ew. you know, ordains, you know, the two towers because that everything that happens is God's will or whatever. And I remember Ooh, being, I was John a John Piper, Piper fanboy, but I'm like, there's something's John wrong Piper's with this. Yuck. John Piper is so yuck. And let me tell you how John Piper fits into this story also. Because when I, when I met my ex, um, I was at a church where I felt like it was very um, maybe immature, I guess. I felt like they were feeding me spiritual milk, right? Again, very judgmental, very condescending. So my ex had started sending me the John Piper podcast, whatever those like questions he answered. Okay. And, uh, That's the meat yeah. right there, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm like I'm gonna vomit just <laughs> thinking about it even thinking about things that John Piper has said specifically about this situation um talked about well yeah maybe yeah. a woman gets slapped around but she goes to the elders like what <laughs> wait what really and people just really still defend him and defend that yeah yeah I I would have defended it back in the day I'm sure I would have I think I remember struggling to defend certain things and going, I feel uncomfortable with this, but this guy is like next in line, right? It goes like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. In fact, well, let's put John Piper somewhere between Jesus and Holy Spirit, actually. Like, you know, <laughs> we didn't do too much Holy Spirit in the Reformed Church. Um, but, you know, it was, yeah, uh, there, there are these weird dynamics that I think all of us at times are in these uncomfortable spaces where we're we're not even allowed permission right we're good we do the rules we tick the boxes and so even when it is my whole being on some level is going no john don't say it no don't make me defend this next week um mm. something in us is going that's not right that's not yeah. it that's if there's a, if yeah. there's a gospel if there's a god this is not it and yet it's apparently it it's being dictated from on high now and I got to fight it. I got to believe it. I've got to strive for it. Like people don't understand how deep this is in mm -hmm. Christians. 
mm-hmm. mass majority of Christians, uh, even list watching the the Hillsong documentary, they're trying to explain to like non-Christian producers of it. You don't understand how it yeah. feels to raise your hands and sing Hosanna or Oceans or whatever the song is, and feel that close to God. You don't understand what it is to feel that you have to obey the pastor regardless of what the secret sin that just came out is you don't feel mm-hmm. how you have to fight for his defense when preachers and sneakers points out that he's wearing a fifteen thousand dollar hoodie like you don't realize how much that urge is there um and yeah i look back in my life i look back at fighting for my marriage that was awful in so many ways it was it was it was wonderful in other ways you know it wasn't all bad but God, it was the best thing that ever happened to me to have that marriage ended. I'm so thankful. My wife was like, we need to be done. Like, I am done mm-hmm. working on this. We are not working. We're not working mm-hmm. on it. I know we could work it out. I don't want to. I'm out. Like, that's yeah. the best thing that ever happened to me. Worst thing at the mm-hmm. moment. But I needed to be kicked, like pulled kicking and screaming out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Just lots of thoughts coming oh, up and feelings. Yeah. And Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. So you talked about you talked about pastors and kind of the idea of having to go through the pastor. So, I mean, that was definitely part of my story as well. My our pastor at the time, uh, I guess around the time I was getting into my support groups, reading the books, all the things uh, he preached a sermon. I think it was on marriage. It may have been on marriage. And he said very explicitly, abuse is not okay." you know, if, if you, if your husband is abusing you, you need to like kick that joker to the curb. And so I, you know, I hadn't talked to anybody at the church about what was going on yet. I mean, they probably could sense stuff was going on, but I hadn't talked to anybody, but hearing that from the pulpit kind of gave me some reassurance. And I was like, okay, I can actually talk to them about what's going on. And so I did, I decided to talk to my pastor about everything that was happening. And I told him, I was like, I'm planning to leave at some point. I was like, you know, I want, there was a couple of financial goals I wanted to hit. I didn't quite tell the pastor all of that, but I let him know, like, this is what's going on. This is what I want to do. And he said he would support in any way that he could. And so I would um, check in, you know, with him occasionally about what was going on. And so interestingly enough, me learning and implementing boundaries and just taking care of myself. I mean, there's the, the last few months of my marriage was actually pretty peaceful. I think it's because, I mean, ways my ex was trying to interact with me just it just didn't work anymore to the point where Mm. he initially ended up moving into our guest bedroom I'd gotten sick I'd gotten a cold or something and he moved over there and just stayed and I asked what happened and he said well it's just easier so I was like okay you know but I was doing my thing I was taking trips without him because he had kind of demonstrated he was going to ruin special occasions so if, when my family was doing different things, I would plan without him. You know, I would say, hey, do you want to go? And he'd say, well, maybe I could go for a day. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll drive separate. You know, you can do your thing. I'll see you when you get there. You know, not trying to even make any plans with him because that was mm. just easier. You know, I had to let go of what I thought marriage should be, which was, you know, planning and doing things together and spending time together yeah. and like coming to agreements, that type of thing. I had to let that completely go. And when I did, it was so freeing. And I think he could see that. So ultimately he ended up moving out first (laughs) before uh, I even, you know, (laughs) like I hadn't said anything and he ended up moving out. 
I'll, I'll have to tell you the whole, let me just tell you the whole story around it. Cause we, we have time. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're good. <laughs> so, um, my godmother was coming to stay, um, in all, we were living in Austin at the time. My godmother was coming to visit for, um, South by Southwest, which is the big like music and arts festival that happens. And so I mentioned it you know, but I wasn't really kind of asking him or planning with him or anything, but I mentioned that she was coming to town. Apparently he didn't get that she was going to be staying with us. And so I, when the day she was coming in, I asked if he was going to be there when she got there. And he's like, wait, she's staying here. I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, well I can move my stuff to, you know, back to our bedroom. And I said, no, she's going to stay with me. You know, you're fine over there that's cool. And he just blew up. He said, well, you're, you're putting our business in the street. Can't believe you would do that. Mm. That type of thing. It was a whole thing. He was like, you need to, you know, well, I'm, I'm just going to stay somewhere else and not tell you. And it's like, wow. okay. So there was a big component there of, of him needing to still appear that everything was good. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so I guess, you know, her staying, with me and knowing he wasn't in there would be, you know, basically outing him. Yeah. Although I'm not sure why he didn't think I would already be talking to her about what was going on anyway. Right. But, you know, kind of him knowing that and seeing that, I guess, was too much. Yeah. So that was a Saturday night. The next morning I wake up and I see some text messages from him. Like, if she's not, she doesn't leave, you know, I'm going to move out. Then he sends another one. It's pretty erratic. And I actually put the screenshots. Um, I talk about my marriage story on my blog. And so I have the screenshots of these messages on there. Um, but there's some pretty erratic messages saying, you know, she needs to, to leave. Actually, I'm just going to move out. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to evangelism. And then I'm going to come, come back and move out. So I was trying to reason and say, okay, can we talk about it? Cause I had already kind of had, like, I was, I was ready, you know, I had. Were you had like sitting point. thinking like, this is perfect. So I, have to do, I, I was planning yeah. to have a hard conversation, but here we go. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I was like, cool. Cause I'd already been talking about people with, about places to stay, um, you know, for me. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I can probably move out in a couple of weeks. And, you know, he was just very resistant to saying he was going to, um, even try to talk to me about it. He said, well, this is my decision alone as a man. You can't tell me what to do. Just tell all the battered women you talk to. Just like a lot of that wasn't working with me at all. Um, so he ended up moving out um, and that kind of started the, the process. Um, at that point, I got my pastor and an elder involved in the conversations to kind of be either be copied on any emails or be involved in any conversations that we would have one as kind of a mediator but also just an audience for my ex to cooperate right because he still mm -hmm. wanted like that that appearance and like being yeah. seen this as, is the like, lawyer in you husband. right you know what's up you, you got some good skills you got some good strategies <laughs> here yeah, yeah, maybe so. Although I had, I'm pretty sure I had these strategies without the <laughs> law degree or license, but I mean that definitely helped. So they were they were involved in the conversations and that type of thing. And of course, you know, he came back and apologized and said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, didn't honor you as God would want me to, those types of things, you know, obviously, again, using the language and trying to make himself appear a certain way, but he never really proposed any type of idea 
for us to actually reconcile. And whenever it came time to actually have a conversation, he would sabotage it in one way or another. Um, when I, so when, let's see, so I started, I got ready to move out because even though he had moved out, I did not want to stay in the apartment where he had access um, because one of the dynamics with abusive relationships is that ending the relationship is often the most dangerous time. And so even though physical abuse had not been a part of our marriage to that point, um, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be at all. So a couple things I had to do. One was kind of keep my cards close to my chest and act like I was actually considering reconciling. Um, in my conversations with the pastor and, you know, with my ex, I had to kind of make it seem like I was weighing those options, but also I had to plan to move out to like physically get myself in a new space yeah. and, you know, not let anyone know um, where I was. My family was super supportive the whole time. They had been supportive of me the whole time. They were always team Daphne. Uh, they always, you know, pretty much when I called them, they were like, what you need us to do? You need us to roll out like what surveillance, what you need us to do? Um, and I was like, you know, stand down. That's amazing. Like, I got it. Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, and they, you know, they knew they tried to tell me even before I got married what was going on. But again, I was in a space of being so arrogant and thinking I have this perfect relationship with God and I'm doing all the right things. They didn't do the right thing. So how are you going to tell me what to do? You know, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but that's where I was. But they were always there supporting me. So it was really great to have them in this process. So I ended up filing for divorce officially after a text message exchange with my ex. He'd asked me about something I posted on my page and I guess he thought it was referencing him. Oh no, it was something that I think I shared something and it got deleted. And so kind of if somebody shares something that's deleted, you just see like, oh, you can't see this post right now. So he thought, He's like, well, did you block me? Yeah. He's like, did you block me? And I'm like, first of all, why are you asking me about this? Like, you're acting like you're trying to reconcile with me. You moved out. Why are you talking to me about a Facebook post? But also, if I blocked you, you wouldn't see it. (laughs) But but then so I said, let me just actually block you. So this is not going to be a thing. (laughs) no but good idea thank you yeah I was was like I didn't know I needed to do that but exactly thank you and so then he said well I you know you're just saying you don't want to be married so I'm gonna go to my lawyer and I'm gonna file for divorce tomorrow and I was like don't worry I've already drafted a petition I'll file it in 15 minutes because he forgot I guess he forgot I was a lawyer or just kind of the whole (laughs) the whole dynamic of the relationship was him not um valuing me for the things that I brought to the table, my skills and things like that. So even though I was a fully licensed attorney, licensed practicing attorney, he, you know, just underestimated that or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so ended up filing for divorce and he had said he wanted to have, again, sent a long, long, long apology um, to everybody, the pastor, me, the people that were kind of mediating, wanted to have a conversation. And um, I told the pastor, I said, hey, I'll have a conversation that is focused on him understanding what he did to get to the marriage at this point and understanding what he needs to do if there needs to be any chance of reconciliation. So I get to the meeting and the pastor has his own agenda. 
that has nothing um, of what I said on it. And there was a lot of back and forth and a lot, you know, kind of a lecture on like, what does a healthy marriage need to look like? Um, clearly, I mean, he clearly had a conflict of interest, I guess, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, if he's trying to like fairly represent both sides or whatever, which I didn't up to that point, I didn't really think was his goal, even though they had never really said like, yeah, you should get divorced. They told me, you know, they understood what I was doing and all of that. But that meeting, he, the pastor really blindsided me with how he handled it and allowed my ex to kind of run away with things, derail it. So he mentioned the night my godmother came to stay and, you know, kind of blaming me for him getting mad. He said, I don't know what y'all were doing in there. And I'm like, what do you think we could have been doing? He said, well, y'all could have been having sex. And so this is in the middle of the meeting with the pastor. And so now we're having a 15, 20 minute conversation about different like family norms and how like that's not strange and how growing up in his family that would have been weird and again nothing that I wanted to be there talking about right. but he really derailed it in an effort to kind of blame me for his actions and it you know we didn't get anywhere with that meeting um I had just started meeting with a coach uh, around that time, a life coach who had been through a similar type of situation and talked to her um, about this particular dynamic. And because I had like, I hadn't really, even though I was understanding the idea of autonomy, I hadn't kind of put that label on it and really fully embraced that. And she helped mm -hmm. me see that one, that my goal was to really protect myself. Like I said, I was trying to get myself safe physically, get my money separated, you know, all of that, keep my, card, my cards close to my chest. So she's like, you're really trying to protect yourself. And she was telling me or helping me realize that those conversations, just like the things I was going through, I was getting like hot, sweaty, you know, feeling it, feeling it mm. in my body. And she's like, do you know, do you think that that is safe? And I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but that really helped me align my actions in that process moving forward with my goal, right? And she helped me realize that, you know, I was in a safe place. I didn't necessarily have to kind of be on the strategic tip anymore. I could, um, you know, fully move forward with my plan in a way that was safe. And I didn't have to engage in those conversations because I was still kind of feeling like, okay, well, my pastor is engaging with yeah. us. I should. And she really helped me see how the, even those conversations were not safe for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know this is, this is a big part of your work and, 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 um, I speak about this often because I just cannot underline it enough that I think Christian quote unquote, Christian therapy, um, Christian marriage counseling, Christian X, Christian Y, whatever Christian Biblical music, anything, right? If yeah. you're a good musician, don't call it Christian music, right? That just says you're not a good musician, right? If you are doing therapy and you need to say you're Christian therapy, it's like, mm, that let's just double check your credentials here right like mm -hmm. can i just check that you actually are a therapist here yeah, and, and that's this actually is it with the, yeah, with the pastor say, right a, a pastor who's sitting down to give you marriage counsel 
Well, mm-hmm. is there maybe a conflict of interest in a man who believes fundamentally that these two people should just like they should be together that is god's ordained right for man and woman and divorce is the worst option it's, it, it, it can happen and we can forgive it and there's grace but it's gotta be like the worst um like is this person really gonna sit down and go you know what it just sounds like you two aren't right for each other and you should go off and be happy in different <laughs> ways that's just not gonna come out of pastor's mouth right. nine times out of ten i think there's some great right. pastors out there and maybe pastors that are trained to, to do therapy and um, counseling that exists but most as far as therapy as far as counseling as far as conflict resolution probably took like three weeks in seminary right i mean like let's be honest uh, maybe a term maybe one semester or something like mm-hmm. and, and the, so the conflict out. of interest and doubling down on the complete lack of expertise and qualifications here you're talking like people that do proper therapy here people even coaching right coaching people can do coaching courses for like a couple of years and they can be you know observed and different things you can do coaching to very strong decent degrees and you can do it a little bit half-assed and i'm gonna wager that someone that's doing christian coaching on the little half-assed side as well (laughs) i just think the whole (laughs) christian whatever just makes me laugh every time i'm like oh so we shouldn't take you seriously is that that what you're telling me um yeah anyway it's just yeah yeah my most recent post on my instagram is about like why someone shouldn't go to a biblical counselor right because they have the goal for your counseling when you go to a biblical counselor is defined by what the counselor thinks the bible says what you should do right there is no acknowledgement of a person's autonomy or what they want or what they desire to happen in that space it's always preset right they set the goals so if you are seeking out some type of service, 1000% do not recommend a biblical counselor. Like you said, not even Christian. <laughs> I, I don't recommend that, you yeah. know, because again, there's going to be something else that is informing how someone works with you. That is not just your goals and what you want and what you yeah. desire, which I can understand how that might not be palatable for some folks who are still really, ingrained in christianity and holding on to that um but it can be really harmful for sure i think in some ways i will say um because i think there's a big distinction here between a christian therapist and a therapist who happens to be a christian and i think those people actually can sometimes be the best thing that ever happened to a christian to find a therapist that is actively being trained that really is a person-centered approach rather than like a bible centered what's that like a bronze age centered approach is that basically what we're saying when we say biblical counseling are we saying oh uh, i'm gonna do my counseling based on what men said three and a half thousand years ago um is that okay like imagine that as you're like you're like about me bio on your website as a therapist like hi i do mine based on like you know bronze age mythology are you cool with that method you'd be like anything (laughs) a bit newer something like roman or you know like even newer um absolutely mental um to think that like you know but it it, it makes sense right you sit down as a christian you want a bible center thing you want a christian so i think sometimes it can be the best thing ever to find someone that actually isn't a christian therapist but happens to be a christian Mm-hmm. and be a great yeah, therapist sure. you know yeah because that's what we're told we should want and like whenever we're seeking stuff i guess in that 
stuff like services or insider information or whatever when we're seeking those types of things in that environment it's always like oh they should come from a christian perspective you know can you Mm -hmm. find a christian lawyer i'm like what does that even mean but there's whole like marketing departments that like i've seen commercials about christian christian trial lawyers and you know christian this and it's like you always are having to guard against any other type of ideology that would creep in and maybe cause you to sin, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. but, and the most um, maybe malicious thing about this reality, right, is on some level, right, you could take a step back outside of this world and look in it and go, these crazy people want to get a Christian uh, claims lawyer for like work compensation or you know like, like why, why is it to be a christian right so so some of you're like oh this is just kind of weird crazy christian world but there's a real malicious harmful element when um the christian component so i would imagine a christian lawyer that wants to get your claim for work recompense you know for your boss screwing you over something probably probably really cares about getting your money and that's great right you know what i mean he, he's not like got some weird like there's nothing in the bible saying you shouldn't get your money back maybe maybe some stuff about you shouldn't sue one you know maybe but but <laughs> the thing is the like well it's not my brother i'm so. like oh jesus there's always something somewhere <laughs> with a christian theology but, but there's a thing where it's like okay it's about marriage okay it's about autonomy oh okay it's about being a woman oh okay it's about some of these things there is no way to go what's the biblical approach what's the christian approach where you're not actively immediately setting up a failure because the the outcome dictated by that text by that belief system is failure the the outcome for your marriage is you stay together the outcome for this abuse is you put up with it the outcome for whatever right there's these things that are just yeah they're 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 designed that so so there's not it's not even like oh this is just bad therapy or this is bad you know marriage counseling it's this is harmful marriage counseling this is harmful therapy um, mm-hmm. And you think you're doing the right thing, even um, yeah. uh, I, with the best of intentions. And, you know, like, I think as Christians, when you're in that system, you, you do what you think is the right thing. Right. I mean, that's all we ever do is trying to do what we think is right. Um, but these systems are actively harmful. I think that's what really kills me with these sort of things is people going, oh, I, I did therapy. I did it with my pastor's wife. And I'm like, she qualified or just because she was the pastor's wife and you're a woman and yeah. what you couldn't be in the same room with the pastor like mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. is this um, yeah. yeah and she also may have been invested in upholding that structure because of what's going on in her own marriage like that's kind of what I realized with my pastor and the elder and you know folks who are involved is that hmm, y'all probably have some of these same dynamics going on as well mm. and so me actually stepping up and saying hey it's not okay Y'all are thinking about the implications of that for your own marriages and for the church, you know, more broadly. Yeah. And and I think as well, like this components of specialization, right? I mean, you talk about like maybe like a, a pastor isn't specialized enough just to do general therapy most of the time, right? I genuinely mm-hmm. believe they just have not been trained enough for that. Right. Um, yeah. but most therapists, if you sit down and go, Hey, I'm being emotionally abused in my marriage, would probably say, Hey let's pause, let me open up my Rolodex or my phone these days, and let me give you a reference to a colleague of mine, an associate that specializes in like emotional abuse, marital abuse. Like 
maybe maybe not maybe they might feel that they're qualified enough but but i feel like on the whole people understand that some things are complex and they need specialized insight yeah interestingly enough that wasn't really my experience um because i did end up seeking therapy from um a couple of different places like initially it was biblical counselors and then it was counselors or therapists who are licensed and also Christian, like there are therapists who are part of a church. And I told, I remember telling the therapist, like I knew what was going on was abusive and she never like referred me out to anyone else. She never even asked me like what it would look like to, like had I thought about leaving and what that would look like. You know, she never, like that wow. never even came up. And so that's that's why I sought out a coach for one, but that's why I've also become a coach because I feel like therapy definitely has its place, right? And sometimes even when you're trying to leave a situation, there's going to be past things that come up that need to be dealt with. But coaching is really focused on action and moving forward, whereas therapy is not necessarily the modality for that, right? So I can't necessarily blame the therapist I encountered for that but it as I look back on that experience it's just really shocking to me and I tell and I don't know if it I have a couple of therapists who are friends and they, and they talk about how they practice and so I think part of it is that like it just depends on the particular therapist and how they approach you know their practice because some of them do a little coaching in terms of helping people figure right. out action plans but not every therapist necessarily does that yeah yeah, I, I just um, I just know for myself, I speak to someone that is in that space and I immediately go, oh, let me open up my notes. Let me give you references for the governing bodies in your state, for your country. Like, here's people to talk to. Here's a person on Instagram I follow. Like, you know, I, I'm like, here's people that know about this. I, I don't know much about anything, right? I like to think I do and I talk nonstop about everything. But I'm really not your guy at all if you want to go deep on much because I like specialize in a few things and everything else i just point people and and it really is fascinating to me how many people decide oh no i'm going to be an expert on this with not much to go on especially in certain areas where where this like you know talking is not really what we need to do that's part of the healing process but walking is first get out Uh and then Uh let's talk about it let's Uh start healing Uh let's start working on this but like yeah, people that aren't able to sit down with you and go, oh, I recognize this situation is dangerous and I need to help you extra, extract yourself from that situation as soon as possible. Yeah. That's not a good thing. That's a yeah. scary. Yeah. yeah, or at the very least help someone acknowledge and realize the amount of harm that they're actually experiencing in that situation, especially when the abuse is kind of more covert um mm. or you know in nature people may not think that like if their spouse hasn't blown up they may not think that they're experiencing abuse or they may not think that it's that bad but they don't it, it's hard to really come to grips with the fact that you're experiencing like you're continuing to experience harm in that relationship whether there's like some big yeah. blow up moment or not and that's one of the things that really helped me too with coaching was realizing like even those conversations are harmful you know, and kind of realizing the degree to which I could really work to protect myself in that situation. Yeah. Do do you think, so this is something I think about a lot, the overlaps in the 
abusive dynamics in domestic relationships and the abusive dynamics in spiritual uh, relationship with the church, relationship with other Christians, relationship with God, uh, maybe even especially with God. Um, do you think there's um, a connection there in that? I, I do wonder. So physical abuse is is easier to point to for sure, right? I mean, it's 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 easy to point to. It's also probably on some level harder to excuse um and talk yourself out for, although i i know that is very much possible um i think it's how many people i i know i've talked to people i've got a couple of friends that have been in domestic abuse and one person that still is in a domestic abuse situation and the amount of times they say well they haven't hit me oh they haven't you know and so they've got a, a grid somewhere along the lines of like oh this would cross the line and and i do wonder with how much doesn't cross the line is so parallel to what we accept from God, what we accept from our pastors. Those those two spiritual figures in our lives, often, certainly God and maybe often our pastor, are deeply narcissistic and heavily abusive emotionally a lot of the time. Certainly, you know, if, if you're maybe in the John Piper world, yeah, big time. God is a narcissistic psychopath, right? But he doesn't yeah. hit me, right? Or, you know, like, it's it's like, wow, you know, like, but he loves me still, really. Or, you know, behind Jesus, he sees me as good. Or um, do you think there's components there? I, I don't know. I, I wonder if this, there's stuff there that, that blinds us to see emotional abuse because it's part of our faith, emotional abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I write about this in my blog. I think I say almost ex explicitly, my relationship with my ex-husband mirrored my relationship with God in that I was always walking on eggshells, trying to do the best that I knew how to do to avoid experiencing wrath or some type of negative or adverse consequences. And that was also based on unclear guidelines and changing goalposts, right? It's like, we don't have clear instructions in the Bible, but we know that God is love, but God also killed God's own son. And so how do we avoid that type of violence and continually walking on eggshells and in this place of deference and not really being able to be our full selves in relationship with God? Like that was the same dynamic that I yeah. experienced in that relationship. And so it, it really is no wonder you say you come across it all the time. And it's no wonder why, because we're taught that we should have a godly spouse. And so if that's the idea of our relationship with God, if we're consistently walking on eggshells, trying to figure out what God wants to just avoid consequences, right, and having to hide things and not be our full self, that's what we're going to look for in a spouse. So like that's and and you know, in a church in a pastor. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's scary. It's really, really scary. Um, yeah, because when you break down some of those theologies, uh, you know, I I, I think uh, someone did. I mean, it's a couple of years ago. I saw it now, but like someone like um, posted like, you know, um, is this a domestic abusive situation or a Christian worship song? Um, and I thought this is hilarious. Like, I mean, it's it's so funny, but mostly funny because of the deep trauma I have lived now. Like. And I'm just like, oh shit, like, wow, you're really bringing up some shit, but I'm going to laugh because that's all I can do right now. Um, right. But you look at these things and you go, oh, wow, that that's terrifying. And that's, and 
and that's in us, right? That's that's systemically bred in us, right? I mean, from young mm-hmm. ages, we are told this is how it works. We're from young ages, we are told to look past these attributes in our leaders, in our pastors, in our fathers, in our whatever. And mm-hmm. we're certainly told to look past it in our God. Well, why did he kill all the um, Canaanites and even the little kids and babies and dogs and cats? Like, well, you know, it's God's ways are not our ways. I'm like, what kind of Ooh, shit excuse is like- that? <laughs> like, Jesus, that's some gaslighting, bypassing shit right there. Like, are you kidding That's me? the wild card. That's like the Joker, like, draw, or not the, not the Joker, but the Uno, like, wild four. Like, yes. you don't have anything else, you play that. Bam. Like, you can play that on anything. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah. Wow. It, it, it's scary though. Cause that's, that's, that's in us. Like that, like I've, I've seen it. I've, I, the amount of defending I've done of people like that. And probably as well, the more I grow and the more I move away from that world and can look at myself in that world retroactively, the more I see myself being that to different degrees, the more I see myself being that as a husband, the more I see myself being that as a Christian leader or, you know, spiritual leader or whatever I saw myself to. And the more I wonder how much is that maybe creeping into my day to day as a husband now, as a friend now, as a person online, I'm, I'm trying to help people. And do I let any of this narcissistic stuff creep in? It, it's scary because because it's deep right it's, it's like you're saying yeah. with the dating thing right at the beginning yeah. right it's like that stuff was hammered into me from 10 it's mm-hmm. deep right that's it's like deep it's so weird. I'm like am pathways. I allowed to, like who do I need to ask for permission to go on this date I don't am I allowed is somebody gonna chaperone like I don't know <laughs> yeah. the thing is it's it's deep and it is scary how pervasive it is. But what I have seen and what I'm really glad about is how even just, you know, that that the one realization for me of realizing or even thinking that, okay, it's okay for me to think that God actually doesn't like oppression. How that one thought led me to this space of finding others who have been saying that, right, for so long, like womanist theologians have been talking about this idea, and um, James Cone has been talking about this and the idea of liberation theology, like people, there's other ways to think about it, (laughs) right, like that's not the only way, and I know when you're in that space, it feels like anything different is going to be scary and crushing, but when you realize that believing that is already scary and crushing Mm. it's like okay where's my path for hope and that's ultimately what it was for me I was like I can stay in this marriage you know try to honor God people at my church would probably be happy whatever but I don't see hope like if I end this there's the possibility for hope and Mm. having a healthy relationship um, ultimately with a spouse even with God, when I initially got divorced, I hadn't hadn't done deconstruction to this level. And so my plan was to continue to go to the church, the same church. I was on the worship team. I had been singing in church 
for a long time, um, you know, since I was really young and was on the worship team, had taken a break while everything was going on. The pastor had like asked both of us to kind of, you know, step down from serving while all that was going on. So once I got divorced, um, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm good because, you know, for me, like the bulk, the worst of everything was in the marriage. And right. so I was like, I'm ready to jump back in and, you know, serve on the worship team. And they were like, hold on, wait, like we need to make sure you're okay. And um, we don't know what that would be communicating to the congregation. If you're on the stage, uh, if you wanted to still help like pack up the kids area, you could do that. But being on the stage, that's different. We don't know. We don't know how you're doing. Even though I'm saying I'm fine. Right. <laughs> you don't know how you're doing. I'm like, but you knew how I was doing when I was in that marriage and y'all still right. let me sing. You love me on the stage at that point. Yeah. Y'all still let me volunteer for seven or eight hours every Sunday when you knew how I was doing, but now I'm telling you I'm good. And there's all these questions. And so that is what prompted this newer or deeper level of deconstruction for me, because I was like, oh, even though I have this new level of freedom and realizing that God actually cares about me not being mistreated in this way, the people I'm in community with don't believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where my deconstruction kind of spiraled. And it wasn't even really a choice. I didn't know it was called deconstruction at the, at that time. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was just like, Oh, these scriptures about submission and marriage, these are wrong. There's other ways to look at them. You know, it wasn't even initially, Oh, this, the Bible is, not true or Jesus never lived or whatever. It wasn't even that. I was like, oh, there's liberating ways to view these scriptures. Um, But there was resistance to that in the community I was in. Like I said before, largely probably because folks were experiencing those same types of dynamics and that would unravel a lot in their own lives. Um, I think about it kind of like how um, uh, Vashti was treated in Esther. I don't Bible reference for those who are triggered for that. Trigger warning <laughs> <But> right here. <laughs> trigger warning for the Bible. Um, and kind of how Vashti was treated. You know, Xerxes was being abusive toward her. She said, you know, I'm not going to do that. And she was banished primarily because of the example that was set for other wives mm-hmm. who were being mistreated. And that's really how it felt in my situation at my church after yeah. my divorce. I was experiencing liberation and freedom and like, I was, ex- I was good <laughs> and they couldn't have me on the stage just no. free. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting to me. This was, so when I got divorced, I was, I was an itinerant minister. I traveled around, I was speaking all over the world. And, and I remember literally a bit, I, I, I think a big part of me trying to stay married was all external it was all because I wasn't happy in my marriage either and and I probably on some level knew it probably would have been better to get divorced but there was something about this will impact what happens next you know this is gonna people don't like divorced Christians um but what's interesting to me was the biggest backlash I got was not over my divorce people were actually relatively supportive and kind and it, it probably was because I was really 
um, quite radical as far as someone that went around and spoke. And I spoke about grace. I spoke about forgiveness. I had spoken about divorce and things like that before. So a lot of the people following me probably were like kind of primed anyway, in some ways I would intentionally done that. Um, but what's interesting is the backlash was that after my divorce, I would say I really was mourning for the first kind of month. And then I kind of like the, the penny like dropped. I was like, I'm good. I'm actually way better than I've ever been. And actually I've been spending the last year trying to make this work. I've been doing therapy. I've been working on myself. I've been trying to, I had the mentality of like, look, if my wife wants to make it work, I'm going to be the best husband ever. But if she doesn't, I'm going to be the best single person ever. I'm just going to work on myself until she decides if she wants to work in this marriage or not. And then she turned around and says, I don't. And I was like, whoa, way off actually in a lot of ways. If you're not going to work on this, well, well, I can't make it happen on my own. So cool. All right. And people hated it. They hated mm. that I was happy. They hated it. Like, I think my wife's family hated it at the time. Like, right? They all blocked me. They were like, we can't deal with it. And she couldn't deal mm. with it as well, actually. She Because we were great. And, and I think we still have a great relationship in a lot of ways. Um, I wonder how she's doing, but she's blocked me. But like, I remember she blocked me. And she says, look, I can't deal because I can, I can see you're having a great time with your friends, mm. like hanging out. And you seem so happy and healthy. And I'm like, I am. And she's like, I'm really happy for you, but I can't see it. And so she had to block me and I'm like, oh, that's cool, whatever. Um, you know, I think it's important for you to do what you need to do to heal. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. But uh, it is so fascinating. Like I, you know, we can't have a, a young black woman that was unhappy in her marriage seem happy now she's left. Fuck, what kind of precedent does that set for 50% of the people in here? Maybe, I don't know, you know, who knows the percentage of the people in that room that were miserable. Um, but I can imagine a lot of women would have been gone, huh? actually maybe right Um, because you you needed that permission right you needed to find that permission (laughs) in one way or another and if you had seen someone singing from the stage if you'd seen someone preaching from the stage that had got a a woman that had got divorced and was happy and successful and pleased about it i don't know right would that shorten the time it took for you to figure out maybe this is okay like so there's there is this huge system at play that does Mm -hmm. not profit from having happy divorced people on the stage (laughs) And yeah, for it's, sure. It's terrifying. You know, the, again, these, these systems are built to discourage uh, freedom from abuse. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do now. Because like I said, I was very vocal before about um, honoring God, why that's the right thing to do, how I was doing it so well, and all the gifts I was receiving in my life and blessings because of me following the rules like I was very vocal about that Mm. very loud and I know that was it inspired people like I remember people seeing like how inspiring it was and that type of thing and so I wanted to be just as loud if not louder about like ways that I was wrong ways that I realized that that was actually harmful (laughs) right that Mm. like we shouldn't necessarily be following rules that were built to keep us oppressed Um, I wanted to be just as loud about that and, um, you know, initially that wasn't my goal. Like I was going to go to church saying, you know, but now I'm like, okay, they, you know, they don't, they don't value this, right. They don't value me being in a place where I can believe that God wants me to be happy and healthy <laughs> and liberated. Yeah. 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 So, so talk, talk to me about what you do though. Cause I think this is such a needed, um, just space in this world to take up take away religion even and i think people need to hear 
um, probably especially in somewhere like America and, and other places that are very religious and still even with an increasing population moving away from religion, still culturally very rooted in a lot of these religious components. Um, it's so important for people to get out there and say, hey, yeah, maybe divorce is the best option for you. Um, what is it that you do? How, you know, because people come to me talking about divorce and going, hey, I'm terrified, but I'm wondering if divorce is an option. And not everyone is in a, an abusive situation. In fact, I would say the majority of people in that situation aren't in a particularly abusive. Of course, maybe all marriages can have abusive dynamics, but um, most people are generally just going, hey, I'm deconstructing and we're drifting apart, or hey, I'm not sure we ever should have got married. We got married at flipping 18 and we knew each other since we were 14. Like, like I don't even know. I feel like I've not talked to any other guys apart from this one, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, so there's people with lots of different, um, in lots of different places sitting down going, I'm not sure about marriage. Like, how, how do you, how do you onboard with people when people come to you? Like, what does that look like? How, how do you, how do people figure this out? Yeah. So usually the, the people that I work with, um, I, primarily women, I don't exclusively work with women, but that's who I've, I've worked with to this point. And usually they're in an abusive marriage. They know it's an abusive marriage because a lot of times it takes a lot for somebody to even reach out to acknowledge what's going on. So I work with people who are, you know, are in these abusive relationships and either trying to figure out the strategy for leaving um, or just trying to get the confidence to actually leave. Like they know they want to leave, mm. but there may still be some things that they're holding on to, like they're not really sure. So even kind of working through the different um, theologies and ideologies that we've internalized that would keep us oppressed mm. and so kind of working through those things and really examining them in terms of like okay do you feel like god likes what's going on in your marriage <laughs> you know like yeah. we can even start there if the answer is yes okay like let's let's dig into that right like let's let's really get into that and see like what you know how that has played out in our lives and if we're okay with that right because i don't as a coach i don't tell people what to do Mm -hmm. I just really ask questions and help them kind of examine thoughts toward whatever end that they've expressed that they want. So even if it's just figuring it out, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge step, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, wow. for sure. And I can imagine, I mean, there must be so many different um, barriers there. Like I mean, you're talking like theological, but there's also kind of like social structures at mm -hmm. play. Um uh, you know, generally speaking, a lot of people in these abusive and religious dynamics, a lot of um, women, especially women, are less likely to have a job, less likely to have a way to pay bills if they end up out on the streets. And, you know, I, I, my experience of, of domestic abuse is, is, well, thankfully not personal, um, but also fairly ancillary. I only have talked to so many people and, and, and really know the stories of people that, that have gone through that to such a small degree. Um, and so I can't even imagine like the, the pressures and, and also living in that scenario, living in under abuse as well. I, I can't imagine it does much for your self-belief to, that you can go out and do this on your own. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, where do people start with stuff like that? Like, you know, if, if someone comes to you and says, look, I, I want out and maybe they've made that jump and maybe they've gone, okay, theologically, I, I can tick the box. I know God wants me out of this. And, um, but 
I don't even know how to begin. Are, are there are there good resources out there for, for people that are trying to make those jumps? Yeah, so I think it depends on where people live. You know, there are different resources by city and state and that type of thing. Um, but I also really encourage people to examine their personal networks. Do they have family? Do they have friends mm. that would be able to support them? If they're trying to move out, you know, is there somewhere where they could move? Um, even if they don't have a job, you know, like, can they talk to somebody about staying with there without a job? Um, if they have um, a degree or professional experiences, like, you know, can you pursue that type of thing, even though it's been a while? What would that look like to get a job? Um, or what would that look like to talk to family about supporting you? That type of thing. Um, yeah. Because it's not easy. Like you, like you said, there yeah. are, those are real structural barriers that are really designed to keep women oppressed under these systems so it's definitely not an easy thing um and I don't approach it that way at all but I think it's important that people know what the options are like either you can take the struggle of trying to get out or you can take the struggle that you're in you know and it's like again for me where's the hope right which which pathway Mm. we have some hope and hope of having something different at the end yeah, no, that's that's huge, isn't it? I mean, we talk about the pain of leaving versus the pain of staying. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think most people listening to this, even if they're in a happy marriage, can understand that dynamic from maybe leaving church, maybe leaving uh, the faith, maybe some of the dynamics in their family that, that have been toxic, where they've had to draw boundaries. Um, it, it is hard to, to, and sometimes we do weather a lot of pain before we are yeah. going, this is, this is more painful than actually um then moving on the other side and and i i am always intrigued by this as well i wonder this is kind of like jumping back into the the faith component but you know i i've heard the statement thrown around a lot i've not looked at the data behind it. i don't know if it's true but i've heard that on average people that are in abusive situations return to abusive situations up to seven times is that is that accurate is, have i heard that? yeah I've, I've heard that and read that in quite a few places yeah and i wonder how much that plays in there's obviously a, 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 there's stuff going on in the head, right? As far as the neuro pathways and, and the support systems in place and all sorts of different things, self-belief. And I do wonder how much that plays into how hard it is for people to leave faith as well. Um, and I, I do wonder, uh, I don't know if you've seen this again and again as well, but I, I've seen this a lot of people choosing to leave but returning maybe trying another maybe in this church will be different or maybe actually it's been a couple of years and maybe since the pandemic my church has got better or maybe you know that pastor now they've had an affair and they've moved on and they started a new church maybe i'll try his new church maybe it's better or maybe i'll try the old church because he's moved on and he was the problem you know there's all these Uh maybes all these because we want it to work we want the relationship to work we want the faith to work we want the god to work We, we want these things deep down to work um yeah uh, do, do you have insight into what that is that drive of wanting wanting what we have to work rather than you know to make that leap to because it's a lot to hope in right i mean yeah. god and, and i guess in some ways with with growing up as a as a, a young person in the church you're told look you are holding yourself you're holding out for this one thing and certainly for women as well because there's twice as many there's there's uh two single men for every single woman in the church so even more it's waiting out hope against hope that you're going to find someone to marry Mm -hmm. it's it can probably sound quite 
almost laughable that you're like, oh, don't worry, you'll you'll find someone else because it's like, dude, it caught it, I I just spent 15 years waiting for this one and he's shit. But like, I don't know. You're telling me there's more people out there, but do you know yeah. what I mean? It must it must there must be some some real barriers there that definitely yeah. yeah. There's so many layers. Like you said, there's definitely like trauma, how trauma influences the brain. And so like doing something new, even though it may be like, quote unquote, better, it's different. And so that can set off like different trauma reactions. Again, I'm not a therapist, so you can talk to a therapist about like exactly how that works. But I know that doing something new is, is like harder, you know, like it's just, yeah. it's, it's harder for the, for the brain. Um, but then, like you said, there's kind of a scarcity, um, framework or I say a mentality, but there is kind of, if you're looking like in the church to get married, there is kind of an imbalance there. Yeah. So there's that. And again, hold, like these deeply held beliefs about marriage being better and, you know, getting that approval, from God, there's so much writing on that. Like, yeah. you know, when you're in that space, eternity is writing on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So this might be a bad situation today, but do I want to go to hell over finding a better situation for the next 30 years? Is it worth it? Right. Like, right. It sounds, you say it, and you're like, God, that sounds ridiculous once you've been outside of that mentality for a while. But when you're in that mentality, that man, the fear of hell. Mm-hmm. that's that's a big one so yeah. big big one yeah wow. yeah for sure yeah and there's also just the idea of like you said kind of not knowing uh what the future is going to be and so not knowing if you can have hope for something else um and not knowing and and also that that just being harder like and I've thought about this recently too like, I feel like I've had kind of decision fatigue <laughs> because mm. I haven't been making decisions my whole life. I feel like I haven't. I've been kind of delegating to God and other authority. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually making decisions. Now. I'm like, this is actually hard. <laughs> Let yeah. me, God, can you just do this? <laughs> can, can we go back and you just- Can we go back thing? to the rules? <laughs> yeah, can we just go back to the rules and I don't have to like decide if these things align with my values and if I want to like continue, you know what I mean? It's, it was much easier before. So it's, it, it's challenging to do something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I, I definitely encourage folks to work with a therapist about like, doing new things and making changes because your brain is going to be resistant to that. Mm. Yeah. So I guess this is an important component that um, is, is kind of important to highlight is that what you're doing, you would typically recommend doing alongside therapy. You wouldn't recommend um, seeing a coach uh, as um, an alternative exclusively. Um, Would that be fair to say? I mean, obviously, seeing either is a privilege especially if you're in an abusive situation you have no money like i mean of course like um you know there's whole layers there of of what's available to people Mm -hmm. and things like that but yeah yeah i think it depends on where a person is like if they're able to take some steps forward and you know be able to do that um in a way that like where they're not necessarily in crisis i don't think they have to necessarily see a therapist at the same time but if there are instances where i think a person should work with a therapist maybe before working with me or while working with me i would definitely recommend that i think it's just a case-by-case basis but 
I would definitely recommend at some point, if somebody's going to be working with me, they should work with a therapist at some point, whether mm. it's after they're already out and kind of, you know, dealing with the aftermath. Cause sometimes people are like, I'm getting out. I already know, you know, help me strategize that type of thing. And so it may be that like therapy after that might be the best course for them. So it really just kind of depends. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And I guess this is the benefit of talking to someone like you is, is you will have so much insight into where someone's at just hearing their story and stuff like that. And so let, let's wrap up because I, I want to be conscious of your time. And I, I said, we do about two hours. So I don't want to hold you all. I don't know. What is it there evening? I guess it is coming up for evening, right? Yeah. 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 Um, how do people, I mean, there's, there's going to be people listening to this thinking, man, I need to talk to this woman big time, right? It's, 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 it's inevitable. Um, how do people begin that process? What's the best ways to reach out to you? Or maybe people are thinking, I, I don't know if I could afford coaching right now, but I sure would love to hear more of what um, Daphne's got to say. Like, you know, are there, you've mentioned your blog, you know, are there resources out there that people can access maybe um, without a financial implication? And then for those that are in a place and maybe want that extra help, um, how can they begin that process as well? Yeah, for sure. So I have my blog, like you mentioned, it's goldendaff.com. And um, I also, along with writing out my story, I also have a page with resources for different books and some other people that I follow on Instagram and podcasts that have been really helpful for me as well. Um, that's on my website. And you can find that too, if you're following me on Instagram at goldendaff. The link to my website is in my bio. I'm also actually offering right now, I want to offer some free, like one, uh, one-time coaching sessions. So, um, you know, this is airing, what is this, April 5th, <laughs> 2022. So, you know, depending on when someone is listening to it, but if they're interested, I mean, I would say definitely reach out to me. Instagram really is the best way, um, or there is, um, I don't know if there's a contact form on my website. Do you know, but you can email also Daphne at goldendaff.com if you're interested in booking a free uh, one-time session for sure. And then if people have other questions about other support groups or things like that, they can message me on Instagram. I'm happy to have those conversations. Um, and then so in terms of my coaching packages, my paid packages, people can also book those either through my website or the link in my bio um, on Instagram. I offer, and you know, if you're not sure if you want to work with me, I offer it's a one hour free consultation and we can talk more about what that would look like. Wow. That, that, I mean, that sounds like a world of resources for, I'm sure, some people that feel like they feel completely alone in this and, and and you know we could have talked about that for a long time as well that the isolation component of this and mm -hmm. feeling like you're the only one i mean just in deconstruction you can feel like you're only one never mind kind of like subgrouping it even right down to things like abusive relationships and things like that i mean yeah yeah and especially yeah. when we're never actually showing any of this on the stage right <laughs> we 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 right. nice squeaky clean um unless you're divorced no squeaky clean divorced people we can't have that right, right. <laughs> um, yeah that's exactly that's like exactly why i do what i do you know i needed to hear my story <laughs> when i was either when i was growing up i need to hear it when i was in college I needed to hear that the rules don't work and like, it's okay to actually take care of yourself. It's okay to seek your own happiness in relationships. You know, relationships don't have to drain the life out of you. Like, especially now when there's so little we have control over, 
in our lives and in our world, it's such a blessing to be able to find and pursue life-giving relationships and mm. places where I can be myself and be safe and be seen and be loved. Because that was never the case for me in church. That wasn't the case in my marriage. And it wasn't going to be the case if I still held on to those, the same beliefs that I had. Right. So that's, that's really why I do what I do. Yeah. Well, honestly, it sounds like such um, rewarding work and it's certainly extraordinarily important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm already thinking of people that have reached out to me that I forgot to mention you because I just juggle 110 things at once and I never remember anything. <laughs> um, but I'm already thinking, oh, maybe I should touch base with that person again and see how they're doing and, and recommend you. Do, do you have a time frame? Because I can probably move my podcast schedule because right now you're kind of scheduled to come out, I think, in about June. Um, so oh, in June. Oh. Uh, if, if you've got like a time frame because you're saying you've got some spaces that you might be able to do a one-on-one -on -one or something, if are you thinking you're going to be doing that in the next kind of month or so? Or, or do you think really you might time frame. Okay. Yeah, I know I just want to offer nine. I've I started with 10 and so one person already took advantage of that so I'm gonna okay. I want to offer nine more slots so just kind of when those are gone that's when I'll close I'll try it. and bump this podcast up so people people listening to this you know you're I've given you the best thoughts you got <laughs> but I can well imagine there's more than uh more than enough people in this world that uh that need your help and so yeah I you know I really hope that you know whatever you believe the universe the stars collide the the coincidence whatever I, I hope the right people get in in your hands because honestly this is really really good work and i i'm really so appreciate you coming on it's, it's been really really great chatting i feel like we could have talked about a million different things i, I kept feeling the tug in different directions so i, I was trying to be on my best behavior today <laughs> Um, great yeah. it was great and sometimes it's funny I've had I've been on other podcasts and have conversations and like do we need to do a part two <laughs> we, we so, will definitely so have you back on at some point it'd be really really fun to have you back on and we can talk about a whole bunch of uh, other things or dive into some of this a lot deeper as well that'd be great I'd love to um so well, yeah thanks so absolutely. much for having me awesome well enjoy the rest of your evening I'm gonna head to bed because it's coming up for midnight so uh oh wow yeah. okay yeah, over here in the UK. I always end up with these late night. I was on a podcast the other day till like 3.30 in the morning and I was like, oh I was goodness. yawning and I was like, please don't think I'm I I'm bored. I'm just really tired. <laughs> um, so yeah, this was actually relatively early, but um, yeah, I'm going to head to bed and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. It was, it was so great to finally meet. I, I've been looking forward to this for so long and, and it did not disappoint. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, love you. I'll catch you later. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was Daphne McGee. I really encourage you to check out her stuff, follow her on Instagram. Um, you know, if you find yourself in um, a, a relationship that maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're going, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, wow, oh gosh, and maybe it's kind of um, made you take a step back and think, maybe you've been thinking about this for a long time, I encourage you to take her up on, she's got free one-time coaching sessions on her, um, on her site. Um, she, you know, has all kinds of things out there to help you. Um, she's got some stuff on her blog. You know, I really encourage you do check her out. Um, I've, I've put links to her stuff in the show notes. She's golden daff on uh, Instagram. And from there, from her bio, you'll find all her links to her blog and find ways to connect with her and maybe, um, uh, yeah, set up a coaching session. You know, gosh, 
it's such a huge, huge area of life, right? I mean, you know, relationships are supposed to be the, the most important person in, in your world. And, um, and that isn't always healthy. Um, and it isn't always good. Um, I've got a close friend of mine that I'm helping right now work through a very abusive and, and harmful relationship. And it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, sometimes we need help. We need, we need someone on the outside looking in a safe third space to, to help with that process. And yeah, yeah. So please, if, if you're going through this sort of thing, please reach out to, to Daphne. She, she would be so happy to help you. I guarantee, uh, I mean, if you got through listening to us for two hours, I'm sure you've picked up on the fact that she is a wonderful human, a very safe space and, and, and so keen to help. Um, and so, yeah, do, do check her out. Also worth checking out, the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, safe space to find other people that are going through this journey in your local area. Um, there's, I think there's over 5,000 people on there now. I mean, there's, there's a ton of people um, all over the world. Um, there's, it's largely in English-speaking countries. The nature of me sharing it, uh, being the per main person that shares it, and me speaking English um, does mean that that is the case. But even in the middle of nowhere, I got a, a message from someone the other day from the Philippines saying they just met up with someone um, from the Deconstruction Network. And so I, I really encourage you, if you're going through this and you feel lonely and isolated, um, it might be might feel like quite a big jump trying to reach out to people in your area, but it can make a huge difference. And so um, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's completely free um, and, and has got huge potential to really help you on your journey. Um, there's very few things as powerful as getting it like you know be, being heard being seen be being able to share your story with someone that that gets it that has gone through it um that's a huge huge thing and so yeah do check it out if you want to support what i'm doing patreon.com slash phil drysdale that would mean the world to me so thank you you get access to our private community you get access to like monthly zooms and things like that um but more than that you you help support thousands of people you know i talk with hundreds of people every week um and i do that for free and and it takes a shit ton of time and effort and um yeah and therapy right <laughs> i mean like i i it, it it takes its toll as well and and so all um all the people out there that are supporting me you you make that possible you know it, it wouldn't be possible if i had to go and work another job um i'd probably only be able to give a few hours a week to this rather than 68 plus hours a week um and so thank you thank you thank you for the people that support me in doing this um i really appreciate it if you're not able to there's never any obligation please 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 even if you're able to and you don't fancy it please like feel no obligation um yeah we're, we're done with obligation and, and all these kind of weird manipulative things that's definitely not what this is just letting people know um that yeah i need to pay bills and if you'd like to help you can um yeah, I think that's about it. Shoot me a message on Instagram. As always, I'm at Phil Drysdale. I love to chat with people and help people on their journey, create a space for you to process and share your story. Please, you know, I get messages all the time from people going, oh, I've heard you say this for months and I've always meant to message you, but I don't know if you really read your messages or if you really mean it. I really mean it. I, I reply to every message I get. I I, I sit with people and, and listen and, and that's what I do and that's what I'm here for. And so please take me up on it. If you need someone to talk to and you don't have someone to talk to, talk with me um so it's at phil drysdale over on instagram um links to my stuff is in the show notes as well as daphne's um and on this episode all right that's enough for me i think uh next time a couple of weeks we've got um an episode with eve was framed i'm really excited about that um yeah yeah it's, it's gonna be good and, and gosh two weeks after that we've got um 
Lisa Renee Hall as well, who I'm really excited to share her, her conversation with you as well, because that was an amazing conversation we had. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm excited about the podcast we've got lined up. Um, and, and hey, if you ever have people that you would love me to do a podcast with, shoot me a message, let me know, because uh, yeah, I want to make content for the people that are still here two hours and three minutes in. Um, yeah, <laughs> well done for making it. All right, I'll leave you there. I love you all. 